Hello and welcome to Moderate Party, a political podcast for moderate centrists and independents. I'm your host, Hilary Lombard, and I'm recording this on the 4th of July. You guys probably won't hear it until next week, but I want you to know where I'm at because I gotta kick this one off with a little bit of a rant. Today is America's birthday. That's what the 4th of July is, right? I mean, all of the barbecues and the fireworks shows, all of those things that we attend are basically America's birthday party. Now, I want you guys to picture the last birthday party that you attended. I imagine there was probably a cake, maybe some balloons, people were laughing, smiling, maybe you brought a gift, cool, cool, cool. Let me ask you this. Did anybody come to that birthday party to tell the birthday boy or girl that they were a piece of shit and shouldn't be celebrated? And then proceed to list off all of the horrible things that they have done since birth? Probably not, right? Because that would be insane. That's not what you do at birthday parties, right? I don't even really believe that a police officer should write you a ticket on your birthday. It is the one day a year where you should catch a break, where you should be celebrated, where everybody should be a little extra nice to you, right? Well, on America's birthday, a lot of people were not in the mood to celebrate. I start my morning off like most of you, check my phone, read the news, and today I was looking forward to some nice patriotic content Maybe a couple of think pieces about what independence means after being locked in the house for a year of the pandemic, but mostly, you know, easy reading. What I got instead was a bunch of articles talking about how awful America is. And I mean, they covered a wide array of topics and angles. The American illusion instead of the American ideal. Millennials didn't want to identify as patriotic. Our racist past, our racist present, our racist future. And I started to feel kind of annoyed. So I shut my local news app and headed over to my national one. Yeah, my phone is just news apps. I'm the worst, but it's how I bring you guys the content. Anyway, I head over to my national news app, pop that baby open, and guess what I see? An article that says the 4th of July is a chance to finally face some not so self-evident truths about slavery. And there was a whopper of an article from the Washington Post titled, maybe it's time to admit that the Statue of Liberty has never quite measured up. Which is crazy, because the Statue of Liberty is just a statue, like, leave her alone. Maybe we can put our energy into removing Confederate monuments and just leave the Statue of Liberty alone. Anyway, that article included this quote. As familiar to some Americans as the flag, the statue is just as meaningless or foreign to others, a sign without significance, or worse, a symbol of hypocrisy or unfulfilled promises. So, I'm getting annoyed, right? And what do annoyed people do? Well, they go on Twitter and yell their annoyances into the internet. And then they find other people that feel the same way that they do, and they shout at them. So I went to do that. But before I could even fire off a tweet, I got distracted by all of the people saying that the 4th of July isn't worth celebrating because of our racist roots, and that the Declaration of Independence is a flawed document and we're a flawed country. To which I say, obviously, that document is so short. I complain about it all the time. The founding fathers were not divine Christ-like figures. They were just intelligent, aristocratic white guys that were pretty liberal for their day. One of them literally tried to cure syphilis by stabbing himself in the penis with a whalebone. Did it work? No, he died because that's a dangerous and stupid thing to do. These guys were smart for their time, but that time was 1776. They couldn't imagine living in a world where women could wear pants. So, you know, they weren't exactly infallible and all-knowing. <sighs> but finally, 
I gave up on the news and I went to Instagram for some cute cats, pics of my loved ones, maybe some delicious food or something. That's not what I got. The very first photo in my feed was a post from Demi Lovato. I know guys, when you started this episode, you probably didn't think I'd be so triggered by somebody that hasn't even released a full length album in five years, but here we are. So this post from Demi Lovato was a graphic that said, five indigenous actions to support instead of celebrating Independence Day. Now, I wanna pause here and say that I think indigenous people are chronically underserved and disrespected. They deserve more resources, more awareness, and honestly, we are well overdue for a state and federal policy overhaul when it comes to tribal nations. So it's not, a to it's not the topic that made me mad, but it's the timing. Not to sound like your uncle at Thanksgiving about this, but I just wish that the woke warriors could for once, for one day, just one day, just shut the fuck up. I've read a history book, I watch the news, I'm not an idiot. I know that the United States isn't perfect or without flaw or above criticism, absolutely not. I have a whole podcast dedicated to talking about how flawed we can be. So hear me when I say this, slavery, our treatment of indigenous people, Japanese internment, those are black eyes on our nation's history. We still have so much work to do and we have so far to go. And I believe that a big part of loving your country is pushing it to be better, forcing it to grow. So I am here for a thoughtful analysis on the ways we can improve. I'm here for that 364 days a year. But on the 4th of July, could we just have a single day where we come together and celebrate the United States of America? On Autism Awareness Day, people aren't like, well, you know, at least autism has a pretty decent life expectancy. We should actually spend today raising awareness for sudden infant death syndrome because those babies have it way harder. They get got right out of the gate. And we, as a country, would collectively lose our shit if somebody wrote an article saying that we shouldn't celebrate Martin Luther King Day because he cheated on his wife. That would be insane. Nothing and no one is 100% perfect, except Dolly Parton, obviously. But besides Dolly, everything and everyone is flawed. And that doesn't mean that they aren't worthy of celebration or capable of accomplishing great things. You know what? <laughs> If we're going to get into this, let's just get into it. Gandhi, right? We all know him. Skinny guy, father of India. What comes to mind when people think about peace and nonviolent resistance? It's Gandhi. He's one of the most iconic figures of the 20th century. India only has three national holidays. Three. And one of them is Gandhi's birthday. He's a pretty big deal. And I'm sure that most of you would say he was a pretty great guy. In fact, he was actually a saint-like figure. And many of you would be wrong. Gandhi was an asshole. Yeah, I know, you're shocked. I was too. But he was. He was a terrible father. He literally called his first son a mistake over and over and over again. And his second son? Don't even worry about it because he disowned him as well. He was a horrible husband. Here's a little bit of prose from his journals that really paints a picture. Quote, I simply cannot bear to look at Ba's face. Ba's his wife. The expression is often like that on the face of a meek cow and gives one the feeling, as a cow occasionally does, that in her own dumb manner, she is saying something. Wow. Thanks, Gandhi. Comparing your wife to a dumb cow is one thing, but he also beat her, and when he was younger, he cheated on her. Pretty bad, right? Oh, it gets worse. At one point, his wife gets pneumonia, 
And British doctors tell Gandhi that they can save her life with a single shot of penicillin. A single shot. And Gandhi's like, mm, nah, I hate the British. No British medicine is going in my wife's body. Get the heck out of here, guys. Without the penicillin, she died. And if you're tempted to say, well, Hillary, things were complicated back then. Gandhi may have genuinely believed that British medicine would kill her. I hear you guys. I totally do. But consider this. A couple years later, Gandhi gets sick with malaria. And British doctors come around. And they're like, hey, Gandhi, my man. I know you hate us and you think British medicine is poison. But in case you change your mind, we could definitely save your life. And Gandhi was like, who said that? I said that? When it's my life at stake, I love British medicine. I'm telling you, he wasn't a great guy. <laughs> when he was 38, he took a vow of chastity, right? His wife agreed, no shocker there based on how he treated her. But then it gets weird. He starts bathing with teenage girls and he says he kept his eyes shut the whole time. First, I don't believe you. But second, just because your eyes are shut doesn't mean you aren't naked in a tub with a teenager. And then he decides to test himself even further. And he starts sleeping, sli like literally sleeping, not having sex, but sleeping with attractive teenagers, fully nude. Many of the girls that he was sleeping with weren't even allowed to sleep next to their husbands because of Gandhi's rules. Okay, we're going down a rabbit hole here and I promise I'm not just trying to make it so that you never think of Gandhi the same way again. My point is that all of those things are true and Gandhi has still revolutionized nonviolent resistance and he liberated India from British rule, which, you know, made him the father of India and improved the lives of millions of people. All of these things can be true. I think it's easy to see things in black and white. Gandhi is good, Gandhi is bad. America is the greatest country on earth or America is a disgrace. The gray area is much harder, it's messier. It's true that the United States has done terrible things, but we've also done great things. This year, the United States of America is 245 years old, which is longer than any of us will ever live, but in the history of nations or the history of the planet, it's really not any time at all. Portugal is, I mean, they're like 800 years old. Greece, 40,000 years old. It's crazy to think that only 300 years ago, in 1721, America didn't even exist. Yet for my entire life, for my mom's entire life, my grandma's entire life, the United States has been the world's dominant superpower. America was born, and within our first hundred years, we gave the world the lightning rod, steam power, the cotton gin, the submarine, the coffee pot, the steamboat, um, oh, the plow, the sewing machine, the revolver, power tools. Um, I think we invented rubber. Somebody can fact check me on that, but I'm pretty sure we, we did rubber. The telegraph false teeth. We did roller skates, oil pipelines, which, you know, was important, but also yikes. The typewriter, the telephone. That was all within our first hundred years. Isn't that crazy? The US obviously wasn't the only nation doing impressive things, but the fact that we are able to produce all of that within our first hundred years is pretty remarkable and it speaks to something at the root of our mythology. The idea that there is something fundamentally different about America, something special, something exceptional even. I've been thinking about that a lot lately. American exceptionalism. It's one of those things I heard about in school but didn't really ever think too hard about. That's the arrogance of it. <laughs> I just accepted that America was superior to all other nations 
without requiring any further explanation. Because if America's special, then I, an American, am also special, and who doesn't want that? Blah, blah, snowflake, blah, blah, you, you guys get it. But I've been chewing on that more and more, and... What does it mean to be exceptional? If this was a high school English paper, I would tell you that Merriam-Webster defines exceptional as better than average and deviating from the norm. So if that's true, what is the norm we're deviating from? What was the standard that we exceeded? Historically, the answer is in our founding. Back in the day, new nations formed around territories, tribes, or nationalities, but America didn't. America was founded around a set of ideas, something truly unheard of at the time. They decided that we, the people, are supreme. Not a king, not a noble, the people. The founders created a nation around the ideas of freedom, liberty, equality, and dignity, where every person has an equal right to pursue their destiny. Being formed around an idea is an interesting thing because on the one hand, all it takes for the country to fall apart is for all of us to stop believing in the idea at the same time. How fragile does that make us? That the continuation of a country is dependent on something as fickle as the human mind. But on the other hand, as anybody that has ever seen V for Vendetta can tell you, Ideas are bulletproof. An idea can't let you down. An idea can't have a heart attack. An idea doesn't die. I think that that tension between our fragility and our invincibility is actually what makes what we have so special, so exceptional. So it endures. The ideas that we were built around, freedom, equality, life, liberty, all of it. Our promise endures. When America was founded, it represented hope. The first shots fired during the Revolutionary War were called the shot heard around the world. And it was, I mean, it truly was. The Declaration of Independence was printed all across Europe with incredible speed, appearing all the way in St. Petersburg within months. Without the internet, guys, like, somebody had to literally carry that news on a boat. And it, even if they did, printing it was not exactly easy to do. If you recall, Europe at the time was ruled by monarchs. And while they were figures of the Enlightenment, you can't imagine that they were exactly stoked to read about a rebellion from a bunch of farmers against their monarch. Since America was founded around ideas instead of a king or queen, territory or tribe, the Declaration of Independence was actually kind of a universal thing. It was a torch that could be picked up anywhere by anyone. And the monarchs were afraid that a rebellion in America could encourage the same thing in their countries, which was valid because it did. But they tried to censor it, and try as they might, it found its way through. America ignited a spark in Europe. It showed working-class people across the continent that a group of farmers could stand up to a king. We gave them hope that the world could be remade and that they could be free. That's why we are the only nation that can break the world's heart, because we're the only one that can make them fall in love. The world still believes in us. They expect more from us, and when we fall short, it hurts. They they're disappointed because they expected more. You see that at home and abroad. Consider this. We're living through the Chinese golden age. They're outspending us, outtrading us, outinnovating us, and for all of their international investment, they don't have a single ally to show for it. Why? 
because China uses its power to make money, further its interests, and humiliate, punish, bully, or bulldoze anybody that stands in their way. China is a bully. The world knows it. The world also knows that America stands up to bullies. We use our power to push back, to stand up for the little guy, to spread democracy, to encourage freedom, to help. That's why more countries fear our decline than our domination. And if you think I'm drunk on propaganda Kool-Aid right now, I will have you know that the facts are on my side. After World War II, Western Europe was decimated. 70% of its industrial infrastructure was destroyed. The Marshall Plan, which was an American initiative to rebuild Western Europe, invested $13 billion into Western European economies to help them recover. We brokered the Non-Proliferation Treaty to prevent nuclear war and stop the spread of nuclear weapons. We reunified Germany. We helped secure peace in Bosnia and Herzegovina. Even China, public enemy number one right now, is the byproduct of our positive impact on the world. In 1972, Nixon opened up trade relations with China, which helped them prosper, helped us make a little money, put pressure on our enemies, and actually helped us exit Vietnam. Not only that, but our ongoing investment in the security and stability of the region created the conditions necessary for China to transform itself into the powerhouse that it is today. American power is not limited to the strength of our military. China, India, North Korea, Russia, they all have huge militaries. But America is powerful because we took Uncle Ben's lesson very seriously. Remember, with great power comes great responsibility. I've been patriotic as long as I can remember. I've always been proud of the flag. When I was a little kid, I pledged allegiance to it every morning without a second thought. I've spent every Independence Day wearing red, white, and blue, and I have more patriotic headbands than you guys can possibly imagine. But these last few years have tested that a little bit. When I listened to the cries of children separated at the border, I felt ashamed. When I watched the George Floyd video, I felt ashamed. When I watched Minneapolis and other major cities across the country burn in the resulting protests, I felt ashamed. When I watched a giant inflatable blimp of Donald Trump as a baby parade through the streets of London, the capital of our most loyal ally, I laughed a lot, but then I was ashamed. When I listened to our president call COVID-19 the Kung Flu, I was ashamed. Our response to COVID and the American lives lost made me feel ashamed. When I watched the insurrections take the capital, I felt ashamed. If you do a Google image search for the term white nationalist, the image results are almost all red, white, and blue. Many of them have the American flag in it. It pops up in the background of pictures of the Proud Boys too. If you look at the pictures of the insurrection, it is a sea of red, white, and blue, stars and stripes, the American flag as far as the eye can see. All of these things made it hard for me to feel jazzed about America and excited to wear red, white, and blue. It's easy to see why you might not want to. I mean, okay, okay, think about it like this. There are a few things that I despise as much as the Las Vegas Golden Knights. They're a hockey team, for those of you who don't follow sports. I despise the Golden Knights. Talking about Ryan Reeves, he plays for them, it can make me legitimately angry. Nobody that knows me would ever accuse me of being a Knights fan. But if you didn't know me, and you saw me wearing a Golden Knights jersey, it would be safe to assume that I was a Knights fan. No matter what I said to the contrary, assuming that you even gave me the chance to explain. So the only people that you see rocking the stars and stripes are white nationalists and insurrectionists and outlaw bikers? 
I can understand why you might not want to put on your American flag pants and say USA all day. People might be put off by you. They might think that you're a white nationalist or an outlaw biker. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that we have not always lived up to the ideas of our founding. Racism and sexism are black eyes on our nation's history. There is no denying that. But we're not comfortable in it. I think that that's one thing we don't talk about enough. In America, we pursue justice and equality, especially when we've done wrong. We seek a remedy. Slavery in America is our original sin, yet slavery existed in America for less time than any other nation on earth. People that say that they can't be proud of America because of our problematic history discount a critically important fact. The abolitionists, the civil rights activists, the suffragettes, the lawyers, the lawmakers, the citizens that changed their mind or took a chance and encouraged other people to change theirs. Everybody that fought to move our country forward towards justice, they were Americans too. Even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream. My four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. One message that echoes forth from this conference, let it be that human rights are women's rights and women's rights are human rights once and for all. You must overcome the crippling legacy of bigotry and injustice. And we shall overcome. And these enemies too, poverty, disease, and ignorance, we shall overcome. These days we have so many Instagram activists and woke warriors or fact-fearing Fox News viewers and closed-minded critics and problem solvers are in short supply. It's kind of like a group project in school. You, you know, in every group project, there's always one person that does the work and everybody else just takes credit without contributing. The United States is basically the ultimate group project. And I feel like we're getting to the point where our group is only made up of the people that take credit but don't contribute. We're a nation of critics without any artists. People on every side of the ideological spectrum have a ready list of complaints about America and what's wrong with it. We're entitled, we're lazy, we're fascist, we're socialist, we're racist, we're sexist, we're snowflakes, we're greedy, we're freeloaders, we're too PC, we're too bigoted, we're authoritarian, we don't see color, we only see color, we're cruel, we're weak, we're ignorant, capitalism's destroying us, we're colonizers. It's the radical left, it's the alt-right. Everyone seems to know what's wrong with the United States, but far fewer seem willing to do anything more than complain. Instagram activism doesn't count, Demi Lovato, it just doesn't. For a country that is so obsessed with individual responsibility, we seem increasingly unwilling to take any. The truth of it, at the end of the day, is that we're lucky to be American. We just are. We engage with our freedom every day in so many ways for so long that it starts to actually feel unremarkable. We let it pass by. In America, you can name your baby any stupid thing that you want to. 
You can also give your baby girl cute names traditionally reserved for little boys like Logan, James, Casey, or Sam. You couldn't do that in Germany or Iceland or Japan, Sweden, or Norway. Protests. We have the freedom to protest. Hong Kong and Russia showed us how lucky we are to have that right this year. We have the freedom to marry whoever we want regardless of our orientation, and that isn't even on the table in most parts of the world. If somebody discriminates against you, in most cases you have legal recourse because in the United States discrimination is legal. We are free to practice the religion of our choosing without limitation, and even in countries as liberal as France, you don't have that right. If you want to know about something, you can Google it or check Wikipedia. In China, websites that compete with state interests or talk trash about the government, they are blocked by a national firewall. Can you imagine? In Russia, if you're a journalist and you criticize the government, you could be thrown in a penal colony to rot. We're lucky. I don't know when we stopped acting like it. No matter how you do the math, America has done more good than bad. It has saved more lives than it has taken. It has helped more people than it has hurt. And that doesn't excuse the hurt, not at all, but it says something about how we measure. I reject the idea that the flaws of our founders and the sins of our history make our country unworthy of celebration. We are not fruit from a poisonous tree. We are the sum of our best and worst moments and everything in between. We're obviously an imperfect nation, but we are constantly pursuing a more perfect union, and I think that that is a really special thing. I mean, we are living through a scary time. I don't want to sugarcoat that or dismiss it or gaslight you guys. Things are pretty dire, and sometimes it feels like they can only get worse. But if you believe that things can get worse, you should also believe that they can get better, because the core belief at the root of either statement is that you believe things can change, for better or worse. Nothing is fixed, nothing is permanent, unless we allow it to be. That is the one unalienable right that we don't talk about very often. The right to change. Our founding fathers wrote it in our constitution. It is one of the ideas that we were founded on. Since we are a nation governed by the people, the people decide our fate, not a king, not a lord, us. And whether you let that excite you or terrify you, that's, that's your choice. A few years ago, my mom was conflicted about whether or not to fly the flag outside of her house. She was feeling really disappointed in America and disgusted by some of the things that she had seen on the news, especially the things committed by people proudly displaying the American flag. Now, my mom is really patriotic, so that was kind of a big deal, and I remember talking about it with my aunt, and she said something that I will never forget. She said that it's your flag, too. Think about that. It's your flag, too. If the only people proudly displaying the flag are extremists, then the flag belongs to them. It belongs to them because you surrendered it. And on this show, we eat extremists for breakfast, so y'all know that I'm not okay with that. It's time to show the flag a little love because it belongs to you, too. It belongs to you. It belongs to me. It belongs to our neighbors, our loved ones, everybody. This country belongs to us, and I think that it's important to remember because if you feel like any group of people is taking the country in a direction that you don't like, the wrong direction, you have a right and an obligation to try and do something about it. Because it is your country too. <laughs> don't surrender it to people with more extreme beliefs than you just because they're louder or more active 
or you're not confrontational or you're tired or you're not sure if you're read up enough on that issue to fight with them. Just engage. I mean, it, it's okay to be bummed out by our history or to feel angry about our present, but don't let it make you cynical about our future because everything can change. You just have to change it. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Do not believe that any of us would exchange places with any other people or any other generation. The energy, the faith, the devotion which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And the glow from that fire can truly light the world. It is time for us to realize that we're too great a nation to limit ourselves to small dreams. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. We have every right to dream heroic dreams. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. Because nothing is inevitable here. Americans never quit. We never surrender. We never hide from history. We make history. To those, to those who would tear the world down, we will defeat you. To those who seek peace and security, we support you. And to all those who have wondered if America's beacon still burns as bright tonight, we proved once more that the true strength of our nation comes not from the might of our arms or the scale of our wealth, but from the enduring power of our ideals, democracy, liberty, opportunity, and unyielding hope. Before I leave you, I would love to hear what you guys think about America, about patriotism, about our history, our future, all of it. This topic is very much on my mind this month because it's our birthday month, and I would love to hear what you guys think about it. So if you're up for it, email me at talk at moderatepartypodcast.com. Thank you for listening to today's episode, and as always, if you liked it, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. That is, if you think we earned it. Don't just do it to flatter me, though it does, but to help spread the word about the show. We want more moderates to find it, listen, and engage, because we are so much stronger together. All right, that's it for me. Stay safe, everybody.